One, two, one, two, three, four. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Jacobs, founder of the New York Revenue Collective. Before we start, a quick thank you to this month's Sales Hacker Podcast sponsor, Node. Node's AI discovery platform can understand the meaning, context, and connection between any person or company by proactively surfacing opportunities that are highly relevant and personalized in real time. Node is creating an entirely new paradigm for sales and marketing professionals to grow pipeline and accelerate revenue velocity. Visit info.node.io forward slash sales hacker to learn more. And now on with the show. Hey, everybody. It's Sam Jacobs with the Sales Hacker Podcast. I've got Mark Jacobs here with me, SVP of Sales Success from CB Insights. Uh, We're so excited to have you. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Sam. I'm happy to be here. Appreciate you having me. You are one of the best sales leaders in New York City. You built a great business from Greenhouse. What we want to first do, though, is just get a little bit of your baseball card stats. So give us your title really quickly. I am the SVP of Sales and Customer Success at CB Insights. Awesome. And so tell us a little bit about what CB Insights does. Uh, yeah, so CB Insights, uh, we have a platform. We, uh, we aggregate lots of data on VC, patents, media attention, that sort of thing through machine learning. And, and with the analysts that we have on the team, we try to predict where technology is going. We deliver that to our mostly very large customers uh, in a platform, and they use the platform to try to um, make strategic decisions either in their innovation teams or strategy teams. That's those sort of roles to make sure that they're not the next blockbuster. The next blockbuster being... Uh, the company that is that becomes obsolete through an obsolete business model. It's not the business model. It's just not understanding that disruption was uh, was coming to them, and they uh, they didn't see it coming, and and they paid for that. Okay, CB Insights. What's the revenue range of the company? We're somewhere in the uh, thirty to fifty million dollar range. Perfect. And then recurring. you're running sales and success. I am. So tell us how big is your organization. So we have uh, the company itself. We're uh, we're closing in on almost 200 people. The organization, the sales and customer success organization, we're at around 75 people, uh, growing uh, responsibly, but but rapidly as well. And you guys, if I'm not mistaken, and you've said this here at the conference that we're at, you guys have doubled each of the last three years. Is that accurate? Yes, I got to CB Insights only a little bit under a year and a half ago. Uh, the company was doubling at that time, and we doubled in, in 2017 as well. Well, congratulations. Thank so you. one of the questions I ask is, what is the amount of capital raised for the company that the sales leaders that I interview are working at? Uh, you've got an interesting answer to that question. Yeah, you know, I've been on both sides of the companies that, that raise a lot and don't raise a lot. What was really interesting to me um, about CB Insights and what I found to be uh, extremely valuable in, in working at CB Insights is that prior to me getting there, CB Insights had bootstrapped um, to 66 people. And then they, they ended up raising $10 million and unbelievably haven't even touched any of that. They proved that you don't have to raise venture capital uh, in order to be successful. And, and so revenue to, is the best source of funding for us. And it's the cheapest, obviously. It's also the best validator. Um, our CEO, Anand, always talks about that. As I said, the company has doubled in revenue every year, and that's without using any, um, any funding. So that's amazing. We're going to come back to that. 
breaking down your organization so we understand it. So you run customer success. You have the traditional framework across those 75 to 80 people. So you've got SDRs, you've got account executives. Just walk Mm -hmm. us through a little bit of the org chart so we know the scope of the function that you're responsible for. Absolutely. So I have a really good sales ops team, um, which I think is really essential to scaling and growing. Uh, I have the customer success organization where we have a uh, customer success leader that's on my team with a number of, uh, of managers and, and customer success managers under them. I have the account executive team uh, with a couple of sales directors that are, are managing them, as well as uh, outbound and inbound SDR teams, which uh, has been the biggest growth um, we've had uh, on the team. So you've been doing this a little while. You've got a large team. You know, I first uh, got to know you when you were building Greenhouse, which is another of the best and fastest growing companies here in the city. But how long have you been doing startups? And sort of give us a little bit about your background and your origin story. Sure. Before even uh, going, going back all the way to college, uh, so I graduated from uh, University of Delaware. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, like a lot of other people, um, I sort of uh, wasn't ready to face reality and I ended up going to law school, uh, which I thought was the best way to avoid the real world. And my father seemed to like the, the career a lot. I wasn't really that into it right from the beginning, but I knew that I would be getting whatever I was doing in law school, I was going to be, it would be, I'd be able to leverage that going forward. Um, I graduated. I practiced for a few years. It wasn't something I was passionate about. I moved over to business development. That was something I, I started right away to feel a lot of passion. Right in my first experience in a startup was at a company, a smaller company, a privately held company that uh, was selling into uh, tax and accounting teams in big corporations. I was an individual contributor over there, continually got promoted until I became VP of sales. That was my first VP of sales role and we got purchased by Thomson Reuters. I was at a few other high-tech companies before uh, landing at Greenhouse. But at Greenhouse, I, uh, I, I came in, I spent uh, two and a half years over there, and uh, we 10x revenue in, in, in those two and a half years. Wow. You know, I'm curious because we've got a lot of folks that are probably in a similar position to where you were at back at the beginning of your career. How did you know, when, and I think that company you've mentioned it to me in the past, Cross Border Solutions, yeah. was, was the company that sold into tax and accountants and got acquired by Thomson Reuters. How did you know, you said you felt like it was a better fit when you were doing business development there. How did you know? I guess you mean a better fit from practicing law? From your personality. Yeah. And you said you landed there and you felt more comfortable and all of a sudden you were a high-performing individual contributor. Yeah. So was it just a natural fit? Did they give you training where you identified with some of the concepts? You know, going back to it, I, I don't know really what the reason was. I could say that the reason I was comfortable is because I was being successful. I don't know if I was successful because I was comfortable, but when you're in sales and you're, uh, and you're doing well, then that, that makes the job that much better. I don't know that it was training. I don't think I got a ton of training there. It was a lot of real world getting thrown in the fire, uh, doing a lot of things and, and learning with the company. I was given a lot of autonomy um, as an individual contributor to try different things and, and to negotiate. And just, it worked out. And you mentioned not a lot of training. One of the things I've heard about you through back channels, I heard it from Dan Brown, who's at WeWork, whose brother Mike Brown works under you, who said, you know, you spent an hour with him in a pod last year going over discovery process. Where did your sales training come from besides just learning on the job? Are there specific methodologies that you use? Are there specific consultants? How do you think about the act of developing a structured sales process when there isn't one? Yeah, I mean, it just comes down to me, the, the actual structure itself, the process itself, those are all, all important, but which one you choose is not really going to decide how successful it is. What's going to decide how successful it is, is, is first of all, getting buy-in from the team 
And second of all, making sure that there's a process in place, there's a cadence in place so that you can have an actual coaching culture. And in order to do that, you have to continually be coaching on whatever it is that you've been teaching. So I was fortunate enough in, uh, at Greenhouse to have a really good enablement person who was great at helping at training uh, once they got onboarded, but continually trained. And then as managers and, uh, and leaders, we would continually uh, work with the, the people on our team. And same thing at CB Insights. It's something that, uh, that I did bring to the organization uh, was uh, a coaching culture where there is a cadence uh, from a one-on-one perspective, from a team perspective, both on an onboarding, both from onboarding and ongoing training. So question for you, I'd love to dig into this a little bit because I think a lot of folks are thinking about you know the idea that they love to be great coaches. They'd love to help develop people. They're just not sure to the point of the cadence and, and with specifics would be yeah. helpful. Like, sure. What is a coaching culture cadence, CCC? What does that look like, for example, at CB Insights? How many one-on-ones? Are there evening sessions? Is it all ad hoc? Uh, and what is the role of the enablement person in facilitating all of that? Right. So it's across the board. It has to be a bought in throughout the organization. So it's not just one person or, you know, the enablement person's doing a great job of setting up, setting up trainings and, and making sure that people are getting the right onboarding sessions, those sort of things, but it has to be across the board. So for us at CB Insights, it's not only the manager that's managing the, either the SDRs or the account executives. It's pod captains. It's the AEs coaching the SDRs that they're working with. We have alignment between our AEs and our SDRs. It's across the board. Even this morning, I saw I wasn't in the office today. I'm at Rainmaker. But I saw that there was a seven, an optional 7.30 meeting this morning being run by one of our account executives on something that they've been successful with. And then I got a picture sent to me at, at 7.45 this morning showing 15 account executives sitting in that room at 7.30. And I thought, you know, that shows that, that not only do we have the right process, the right people working, but also a motivated sales force that's bought into wanting to be coached and wanting to be better. That is incredible. I can speak from personal experience that I've had difficulty uh, getting people in at 7.30 in the morning and a full house at 7.45. How do you do that? You know, one of the things that that you talk about a lot in panels and and you and I have talked about offline is motivating a quote-unquote millennial sales force. What are your strategies there and how do you approach that? The whole millennial thing, sometimes you, you hear, you know, they get a bad name in a, lot of, in a lot of circles and they get, in my opinion, millennials are, are the best generation that we have if you pick the right ones and hire the right ones. So when I say that, I mean, you do have this perception that sometimes there's entitlement, but I would argue the other way is if you find the right group of millennials and you hire them the right way, they're going to be willing to work and do whatever is necessary to get shit done particularly if you're willing to give them some goals that they need to reach and some rewards for hitting those goals. Not just, the, not just compensation, but actually career ladder stuff, promotion from within, proving that if there is a place for them to uh, progress within their career and you give them what they need to do to get there, they're going to get there if you hire the right ones. So you were one of the first people, you know, a couple years ago that sort of hammered the concept of career ladders for me. But you also mentioned interviewing the right way. Do you have a point of view on the right way to interview and maybe the right questions to ask or the right profile uh, when you're looking to hire the next AE or the next SDR for CB Insights? I look at it two ways. There's two main things that I focus on. One is is from a cultural perspective. Everyone talks about culture, but for, for what I just said before, you have to be able to ask questions of the candidate to see if they are in that group that I mentioned that feels entitled or are they the type of person that's willing to do whatever is necessary, get shit done to get to the next level and be successful. 
that's a really hard thing to uncover. But if you have enough people that are speaking to them within the organization that understand our culture, generally, we haven't seen where we've gone wrong in that regard. The other part, which I think is an easier way, an easier portion of the interview process is just making sure that you test them in whatever capacity, put them in a similar situation that they're going to be in when they, when they start the job. And, and so whether it's an SDR, we test our SDRs on, on basically the things that they have to do to be successful. They're going to do those things in the interview process. They're going to do a phone. Um, they're going to cold call. They're going to send a, uh, a personalized email prior to even coming into the interview process. We're going to test them for coachability. It's uh, basically, you know, um, giving them feedback on, on what they've done and see how they handle that. And the same thing for an account executive. You can't, I don't believe that you can hire an account executive effectively without testing them and seeing if they're going to be the right fit. Their skill set's going to be the right fit for your sale. I've seen way too many times where top sales reps at certain companies go to other companies and they just cannot succeed. And the same thing, I would say for some sales executives that, that aren't in the right fit, they can come to a company and, and be successful if that's the right company for their, for their skill set. Are there any uh, red flags that you have in the interview process? One of mine, I have two, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll help lead the witness a little bit. One of them is on a phone screen. If they don't answer professionally, that's a red flag. So I say, I call them and they say, hello. And instead of, hi, this is Sam Jacobs. How are you? And then the second thing is uh, whether they're sending follow-up emails. It used to be handwritten, you know, mailed notes through the mail. That's, I think, an unrealistic expectation at this point in life. But I still see a lot of times that people don't even send a follow-up email. Any red flags like that for you through the interview process? I will say the second one that you said is would definitely be a red flag for me if there's no follow-up coming back after the interview. You know, in sales, follow-up is uh, crucial. And uh, if they're not going to take the time to follow up on the conversation, I'm not sure how we can expect them to follow up with their prospects. Some other ones that are red flags for me are if I hear anything in the interview process where they're not sure that sales is what they want to be in, that they, you know, like they, maybe they're, they're interviewing at the company sales, they look at as an entry into the company, but you know, they're not sure that that's the uh, career that they want. Then that's a red flag for me as well, because it's, you know, sales being an SDR, if you're hiring for an SDR, it's a hard job and you have to be motivated and you have to want to succeed as a salesperson. There's nothing wrong with changing your mind a year into it. But if you go into the process, not sure if you want to be doing sales, that would be a red flag for me. Yeah, I, uh, I totally agree with you. So let's reflect on, you know, you've been doing the startup thing for a while, and particularly the last two roles, you seem to have landed on incredible companies. So what do you think are the biggest lessons learned from, you know, the last 15 or so years? Obviously, you figured out how to hire and you figured out how to motivate people. But what else have you learned? I could list a ton of things. But I think what I said before, just if you're going into a start, first of all, in picking the right startup to go to, there, what I've learned is you know, the, the founders are essential. You have to be able to not only have smart founders, but you have to be able to align with whatever their vision is. And I, I had that both from a greenhouse perspective and, and now from a CB Insights perspective. I'm fortunate in both of those companies. I was fortunate to have alignment with both with the founders of those companies. What does alignment look like and how do you figure out whether you're aligned with the founder or not? Yeah, I mean, it depends. Like, for me, it was about how they want to grow the company, what they're looking to do, how they would like to hire, what their belief is on and the culture of a company. And then also, obviously, you know, from a product perspective, you know, we can talk all day about product fit and, and all, uh, product market fit and all that. But 
for me, I'm not even talking about that for now. I'm talking more about just the feeling that, you know, you're going to be hand in hand working with this founder or these founders on a daily basis, trying to go after some, some really aggressive goals uh, and making decisions together. And if, if you're in the interview process and you don't see yourself being able to work day to day with those people and, and learn from those people, then, then that's going to be a problem for you. So I was fortunate. I learned that that's a really important area. I, I didn't learn it the hard way um, like some others have, but I, was, um, I have learned that, that I'm fortunate for ha- the choices that were made there. Another thing is just, um, we talked about the millennial uh, sales force and motivating them. I think that's really important. Um, I think from an investing and training perspective, you're not going to be able to scale if you don't invest early. Um, we as in, at CB Insights, I mentioned before, you know, promotion from within all of those things, we're relying, we're doubling down on hiring younger sales or, or less experienced salespeople and expecting really large and big things from them, not only right now, but, but soon in the future. And so if you're going to do that, you, you damn well better um, provide them with really good training, onboarding and constant coaching. If you don't, by the time you realize it, it's going to be too late. One of the things you've been talking about, and I've seen you talking about on social media, and you and I were just talking about it, is you feel like you've cracked some kind of code when it comes to the success rate of SDRs. I think a lot of folks advertise, and certainly I've advertised in the past, that you know we've created the ladders and the career progression, and you come in as maybe an inbound SDR, an outbound SDR. That's obviously a topic of debate. But you come in as an SDR, you spend some time, maybe you go to SDR 1, SDR 2, and ultimately you end up becoming an account executive. I think a lot of people want it to be true that those SDRs ramp more quickly and are more successful. I think the bag is mixed, but then I think at CB Insights, it's unequivocally been successful. What do you attribute that success to? It wasn't intentional, by the way. I mean, you know, I was happy with how, you know, other places where we've had um, these career ladders and SDRs becoming account executives and, and just be, to become an account executive and to start to succeed in that career. That was, that was a, a good thing uh, from a um, coaching perspective and, and feeling good about what you're providing to those younger sales reps. But there is a situation where a lot of times they, get, they become account executives and it takes them a long time to ramp up because they've, they've never been a part of closing business. They probably, in a lot of cases, have never heard a negotiation. They certainly haven't been part of dealing with procurement teams. Um, so that coaching, there's a lot of things that they need to be taught. Um, and so the ramp could take a while. What we found at CB Insights, and again, this wasn't intentional. It just happened to work out this way. And I'm, I'm doubling and tripling down on it. And I would, I would recommend anybody to do it this way. We have our account executives work on named accounts. And the account executives are aligned with their SDRs. Generally, it's two to two. So if an account executive has 100 accounts, maybe they'll uh, provide 35 accounts to one SDR, 35 to another, and maybe they'll do prospecting on the other 30. But what ends up happening is the SDR has the opportunity to work with the account executive regularly to map out accounts, to look at who we should be going after. And then not only that, but they're involved throughout the process. It's not like they're on every single call that's happening, but they are copied on every email that's happening. They are on important, some of the important calls, um, whether it be with a procurement or negotiation. But whatever the case may be, it's making sure that they, again, just like with the interview process before, it's making sure that they are put in positions and understanding that what they have to do to be successful by seeing other account executives do it so that when they step into that role, they're not going to have to relearn everything. And in our case, it's been actually a huge advantage for them because not only are they able to do those things, but they understand our customers way more than someone that we would bring in from the outside. 
Um, it takes them a little bit longer to ramp up from that perspective, but they understand our customers. They know how to prospect. They already have prospecting mindset. And so we've had a lot of success with it. We've had, I think the latest is eight SDRs that were promoted into account executives and every one of them hit their number in 2017. Some of them actually doubled it. So, wow. So here's a common objection to that strategy. So as an aside, I'm a believer in the strategy of pairing SDRs and AEs. But when you put it in, you'll get feedback. What if I get a bad... It's bi-directional feedback. What if I'm paired with a bad SDR? If I'm an SDR and I built a comp plan that maybe includes some element of closed business as the incentive comp, what if I'm paired with an AE that can't close the business or move the pipeline along? And how do you address those objections? It's a fair objection, but part of it is I honestly believe, first of all, we're doing two to two. We're no, you're never going to be relying on just one person. Um, so that takes a little bit of that, that, that out of the equation. I am a firm believer though, especially when it comes to the AEs, that they are directly responsible for the success of the SDRs in many cases. So the, a, the SDRs that are successful are successful because a lot of the AEs that they're working with are, are working with them to make sure that they're successful. That takes, I believe, that part of the equation out of it. You're always going to have better SDRs and better account executives. Uh, but what I've seen is that it, if you have them work together and, and they're both aligned to be successful, it becomes equitable. I haven't had a situation at CB Insights where we had the situation that you're talking about where someone's just not getting the right resources necessary or not having the right account executive. Um, we also tried to make sure that um, pair based on one senior person to an AE and one not as senior person. And then we, we, we rotate it based on uh, management sort of deciding how to make it fit best. Got it. That's reassuring. I think a lot of folks are thinking about implementing some of those solutions and want to make sure they do it the right way. When you look at success and failure in your current role, and I know that you've got some interesting ideas about failure, but you know, what do you think the biggest drivers are? From success and failure um, for my role, I'll start by saying, and you said, you know, you, you mentioned failure, and it just made me think of I was reading in in our newsletter last week. On and our CEO writes our newsletter. He wrote something pretty. Uh, I thought was pretty powerful. And it, and it was about not fetishizing failure. You know, it's failure is one thing that's somehow has, especially with, with founders, as opposed to, um, I'm not talking about my role or sales roles, failure happens with, when you're selling. But failure is sometimes romanticized in, in, when it comes to startups. But the reality is it sucks. And, and you know, and as Anand said, um, founders should not be um, talking about, oh, I'll just learn something and I'll go on to my next thing. You should not want to uh, fail. If you do, don't celebrate it. And maybe that's harsh. And I, I don't think sales, as salespeople, we always learn. I do think there's times where failure is really helpful, especially if you're experimenting. And you know, we get our, our asses kicked a lot and we do fail. But that question you just said made me think of what I read with Anand. But from going back to your question about the biggest drivers between success and failure, for me, it goes back to what I said before, hiring the right people that are willing to, to work as hard as necessary to get stuff done, that is a huge equation in how successful you are. No matter how good you are as a sales leader, if you don't have the right people on your team, you're, there's no way to succeed. And I think also uh, it's about making the team feel like they're one, that they'll work together. They have this, And that, that goes to the culture I was talking about before. It's wanting to win together. We have a competitive team, but not they don't compete with each other. We set up competitions, they, they work with each other, and they, they love when each other succeeds. And that part of the culture, I think, is really important to, uh, to being successful. 
And like I said, we rely on less experienced team. If we don't provide the right resources to them, we're not going to be successful. And then just from an accountability perspective, you know, you talked about um, asking about success and failure. I think being accountable, openly accountable and holding your team accountable is the only way to make sure that you're going to be successful. I've seen in many cases, and I've done it myself in many cases earlier in my career, is if you don't hold people accountable and if you, um, and you don't move on from people that are not the right fits or, or not pulling their weight, that could bring the rest of the team down. And so I think uh, making sure there's accountability is an incredibly important thing. And then I know I'm, I'm talking a lot, but I should say also from a CS perspective, as I do oversee both sales and customer success at CB Insights, if we can't get our customers engaged in the platform right now, that's what my focus is, is on, is making sure that our customers are very engaged within the platform and making sure that they understand the value of the platform and we understand how we can help them. Those are things that, that are the difference between uh, me being successful right now and, and not successful. And what are you specifically graded on? How are you measured? Always interesting to hear how a senior leader, how their success is evaluated in the organization. Is it, is it just straight revenue or is it more complicated than that? It's just shifted as, as 2017 ended um, and going into 2018. And for me, the, the sales leader, CS leader, it should be old on whatever the, the, the goals of the organization are. Right, so in 2017, my main goals were on revenue and then also net retention, and and we were able to crush it from both perspectives. This year, our focus is obviously still on revenue; um, it always will be, but we're sp- paying specific attention to gross retention as opposed to net. And I'm accountable for making sure that we exceed those goals, um, both not only just revenue but also making sure that our gross retention is uh, in a really good place. When you think about building the plan. And, you know, your goal this year, as you mentioned, is to double again, and you've doubled each of the last three years. You know, you guys are setting very aggressive goals. How do you pick those goals and how do you work with the CFO to build those goals? You know, what's your strategy there? Yeah, so our our goal is actually not to double this year. We are still going to grow aggressively, but we're not even trying to double this year. What we're going to try to do is, is have uh, 75% growth, but then also, as I mentioned, focus a lot on throughout the organization on making sure that our gross retention is where we want it to be. Um, and that, that includes from a product perspective. It includes from obviously from a CS perspective. But in any event, the way that I work with the CFO, you know, when you think about the revenue plan, you know, and, and you actually talked a little bit about it today in, in your session at Rainmaker, you know, you can't just take a number, throw the number out there and then throw the number of bodies times quota and think that you're going to get to there. It doesn't work that way. You have to be able to build the plan both top down and, and bottom up. You have to be able to uh, make sure that you, there's enough lead flow to hit those goals and make them realistic. My philosophy with finance has always been sugar goes further than, uh, than vinegar. There's always going to be disagreement, but it's how you handle that disagreement. If we are aligned, we both just want the company to succeed and we just got to figure out where there's um, disagreement. But yeah, I mean, it's not in a position to basically, if a number is thrown at, at me, I'm, I'm going to, from a competitive standpoint, I'm going to say I'm going to get there and I'll go and do what I have to do to get there. But that's not necessarily the, to me, you need to make sure that, that you have the, the lead flow, the product and the right team to, to get to the goal. There's obviously something special about Mark Jacobs. Besides your, your humility. And the sharing of my last name. With, uh, <laughs> yes, with that's true. You have a very special last name. I didn't prep you for this question, but what do you think your superpower is? What do you think you interact with so many different sales leaders? So even beyond, again, you're such a humble person, you're such a caring person. 
but you obviously think there's something that you're doing that's special or different, or, or I think you hopefully have some of that awareness. What do you think it is? What is it the thing that you think you're great at uh, in, a, in a unique and differentiated way? I think I'm very good at making sure that I, I can build the right team. And as I said before, that's the most important thing. If, if I don't have the right team, it doesn't matter what my superpower is. I'm not going to be able to be successful. But I do think that I'm, I have particular strengths in making sure that the culture is strong on that team. What I mean by that is it's mostly around transparency and, and working together and winning together and, and losing together sometimes, but hopefully not that often. But transparency is a big recipe uh, for me for success. It's about setting the right expectations with a team. People when they know that you're upfront and and transparent, they don't worry about getting blindsided, um, and that's extremely motivating. And then also um, bringing people into the decision making processes on big decisions that that are going to be rolled out. I'm not a fan of rolling out decisions and and making the team uh, live with them. So I, I want them to be part of the decision making process. It may be that their feedback it, you know gets pushed aside, and we still do what we were planning on doing. But there's a big difference for people when they uh, realize that they at least had some say in, in what happened with the decision, whether whether it went the right way or not. And I think that that comes into what I was trying to get to on what I think my superpower is. It's just understanding how to motivate people. It's understanding, making sure that uh, they know that that you care about their success and getting people to work together to uh, to hit a common goal. I think that's a really, really important point. Um, so we're going to, I might come back to that later. What we want to do last question before we go into a little bit of a quick fire round. So imagine you're a 25 year old up and coming, uh, SGR or account executive listening to this right now. What advice would you give that person? If they say, Mark sounds like an amazing person. I want to model my career after Mark Jacobs. I want to be the sales and success leader at these incredible companies. What advice would you give them? Take it one step at a time. Coming in as an SDR, I think it's a great goal to want to be the SVP of of sales or be the CEO of the company. Um, I I do love, I actually read a book uh, that talked about that with um, Bill McDermott on Winner's Dream. He talks about that and how how when he first interviewed at Xerox right out of college, um, they asked him the question of what he wanted to do next. And he said, be CEO. And I thought that was was really cool. But in, in this regard, what I would say is, make a lot of mini goals, right? And make sure that you're in a place where you know that if you do what you're supposed to do, you can achieve those goals because not all companies are, are like that. Not all founders, not all cultures at companies allow you to be successful. Make sure you're at the right company where if you do bust your ass and you work really hard and you see success, that you're going to be able to get to the next level at at least a reasonable time. Don't be entitled, but work and do whatever you need to do to, to get to the next step. And, and those next steps start adding up really quickly. And before you know it, you're, you're now you're at the next, that dream role that you're trying to get to. I think that's great advice. So let's move to uh, some, some more tactical questions. We call this the quick fire round. Who do you think SDR should report to, marketing or sales? I do think it depends on the company, but for me, I've always been a believer that the SDR should report into sales, not for any other reason than just from generally who is on the management team in a sales organization as opposed to a marketing organization. And at least the sales organizations and marketing organizations that I've been a part of, sales is much more geared towards the coaching and managing and motivation of the SDR role. Of course, alignment is, with marketing is extremely important. Um, and you know, if you don't have that alignment, then you're not going to be successful. But it would have to be a, a very a marketing leader and marketing management that has sales expertise, in my mind, for them to be able to manage and motivate SDRs. 
how does your quota system work? Do you use, do you believe in monthly quotas, quarterly quotas, annual quotas? Yeah. And again, that, that's going to depend on the size of the, the deal, how big the quotas are, what you're trying to accomplish. So I'll just use CB Insights as an example, because it's the, the, the closest thing to me right now. I always believe in monthly, definitely monthly, at least from a tracking perspective, right? You don't want to... I've been in, in organizations where your goals are annual or they're quarterly and, and you're, you're banking on or relying on doing a lot of stuff in the last couple of weeks of that quarter or that year. Um, I think monthly from a tracking perspective, uh, but quarterly from a comp perspective and a performance perspective. At CB Insights, we have our, our account executives have quarterly compensation, but we do have tracking bonuses to uh, motivate them to at least stay on track. Okay, that's interesting. And are you are you willing to share what the actual quotas are for a few folks on the team? Sure, our quotas are. It's going to come across as high, but it, it all depends on on the average deal size, right? And the you know, like you know, the math that you have to put in to figure out what's a realistic quota. Last year, our quotas were were much lower um, than they are this year. We based our decisions for quota on last year's average deal size, not our future average deal size. And, and so you can get yourself into trouble when you raise quotas and you try to base it on where you expect the average deal size to be because it's tough to get buy-in from the, uh, from the team. But if you're at least using um, past close um, average deal sizes, it's hard for an account executive to argue that it's unrealistic for them to hit those goals. Um, so for us, we break our team in. We don't have a small market team because we don't sell into the small market. So everybody on my team is selling into an enterprise, uh, large companies, mostly global 2000, um, and a lot of focus on, on, on Fortune 500. But one of the things with our pricing model is that we don't sell into the enter- entire enterprise at the same time. We're selling our package into teams. So let's say a strategy team of five people in, you know, in London or an uh, innovation team of five people in San Francisco at a big bank. What ends up happening is we have those enterprise companies that we're selling into, but the process can end up being a lot more like a mid-market type of uh, sales process and, and sales cycle. So for us, our account executives right now are broken into three groups. Only A3 is generally is only actually um, uh, account executives that, that came over from being SDRs. Um, and their, their um, quotas right now are on a monthly basis, they're $60,000, $180,000. Per quarter, uh, the next group of account executives we have uh, are at eighty-five thousand per month, and then our uh, most senior account executives are at one hundred twenty thousand a month or three hundred sixty thousand a a quarter. And so, I think I've, my math is probably off, but somewhere in the neighborhood of one point four million a year, if I'm not mistaken, for the. Most senior account executives, it's it's more than that. It's um, one twenty a month, which is no more than that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. One point four four. That's correct. When you're in sales, you get good at multiplying by twelve. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, really quickly, what's in your stack? Let's pay some love to some influencers, some vendors, and some people that are out there making things that you guys use and love. So, what's in your sales stack, and what technology are you using? All right, so I'm going to start off since I am at Rainmaker right now, and I do love this the, comp- the sales loft company. I, I had it at um, I put it in at at, at Greenhouse, um, and then we just I brought it in at CB Insights. I think uh, the company is fantastic. I think the platform's great. Um, so sales loft is a, is a big part of our of our platform of our stack. It goes towards our mission of or goals of not spamming uh, customers, but actually um, personalizing at scale. And SalesLoft does a really good job of cadence to do that. A um, couple of other tools that we've been using, obviously, Salesforce.com, LinkedIn are, are big parts of our um, sales process. 
We have some homegrown things that we're doing from a CS perspective on, on engagement and scoring. But from an outside vendor, uh, we, I mentioned a, a coaching culture. Um, one of the first things I brought in at, um, at CB Insights was Gong, which is a, a great tool for, uh, for recording and listening to and coaching off of calls. We also just brought in Guru uh, because one of the pains that I was seeing at, at CB Insights was we had a ton of great content, but no one could ever find it. So Guru helps us to organize that content very easily. And then recently, we brought in um, Clary, uh, which is a tool that we use on top of Salesforce and it helps us to uh, forecast more accurately. That's interesting. Is that like an Insight Squared competitor? I think it is, but I'm not 100% sure where the differentiation is. I've used Insight Squared. The way that I looked at Insight Squared, Insight Squared is a great tool uh, and I really enjoyed using them, but it was more geared towards um, management being able to look at the reports, whereas Clary does a, is focused on um, the account executive being able to use that as their sort of point rather than using Salesforce. Account executives get a, a really good um, experience with it. And as sales management, we can see what's going on from a uh, forecasting perspective. That's great. Thank you. Influencers, who are some of your mentors? Who are some of your favorite VPs of sales uh, that, you know, that influenced you and that, that you rely on to this day? Well, Sam, you are one of my <laughs> biggest influencers and mentors. Uh, you did not pay me to say that. I think we have a really good relationship and you know, bouncing stuff off of each other. So I, will, I would be remiss if I didn't say that you were. But I also have a, uh, a person that I worked with a while back that is, has remained as a mentor of mine, Jeff Miller, who was, a, who was most recently the VP of sales at Hortonworks, is a big mentor for me on a lot of different uh, areas that are um, sort of outside of the startup um, world. I can name a lot, but the whole New York City Revenue Collective. (laughs) You are a founding member of the New York Revenue Collective. Two more questions, and I thank you so much for your time. One is, you know, who are some of your favorite founders? Who are the people that are inspiring you that you look to for leadership? I'm going back to to Sales Loft again. I'm not doing this. There's no one from Sales Loft. (laughs) We're in an empty hotel room. There's there's no one at Sales Loft right now listening to me, but it's always been this way, you know, from the day I met Kyle Porter, I, you know, I was very aligned with the type of culture that he's built at sales Luff. Um, I also very much appreciate his focus on, on, on raising up the sales profession. And, and, you know, obviously with a, a platform like his, it, it makes sense to do that, but he, he's so um, authentic when it comes to that. Um, so he's one of my favorite. And then of the ones I don't know, uh, it's hard to go, go with anyone over Jeff Bezos. Just because of what he's done with Amazon, I recently read something, either I think it was on Twitter or, or maybe it was in an article, I'm not sure. And it, it resonated really well with me that um, it's important, that I think it's really important for, from a success perspective. And it's that most decisions, he had said, should be made with only getting about 70% of the amount of information that you wish you had. If you wait to over 90%, you're going to be too slow. As leaders, we have to be able to quickly see when we've made a mistake and be able to course correct very quickly. So I guess his point was being wrong won't hurt you if you can course correct quick enough, but being slow can become very expensive or it can become too late in what you're trying to um, accomplish. I could not agree with that more. I have a framework for that I call the decision coefficient. Last question I didn't brief you on, media. So give us some books that are important to you, some podcasts when you're going about self-improvement. I know sometimes you listen to eBooks so tell us some of the great books that you've been reading recently or some of the great learnings that, you know, podcasts, places that you found inspiration and new knowledge. 
I find it all over the place, right? I mean, you had mentioned the the ebook that I listened to, and I mentioned earlier in the conversation. Just happens, I don't listen to a lot of books, but um, in this case, uh, I listened to Winner's Dream by Bill McDermott, uh, who went from uh, owning a, a deli as a young man to uh, running SAP um, as CEO, and uh, I thought that was a really great book. Uh, that talked a lot about getting stuff done and goals and, and what you have to do to motivate not only yourself, but the people on your team to hit, hit your dreams. I listened to a lot of you know sales hacker stuff. I listened to a lot of uh, the talks that you have with the folks on the uh, New York uh, Revenue Collective. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a specific one that I'm, I'm doing. I, I read RCB Insights newsletter, which I think is fantastic and entertaining. But yeah, okay. just make sure I'm just constantly making sure that I get enough information, but it's not necessarily from the same source. That makes sense. Last question. So you guys are hiring. If people want to get in touch with Mark Jacobs to seek you out as a mentor or to apply for a job, are they allowed to? And is there a, a medium, LinkedIn, Twitter, email that you prefer that people reach out to you? I'm fine with any means of reaching out to me if it's about finding a job um, or about work, potentially working together. My email at CB Insights is mjacobs at cbinsights.com. I am on, uh, on LinkedIn as well. I don't know offhand what the LinkedIn, uh, what my LinkedIn... We can find you. Yeah. It's, it's Mark just, with a C, guys. Yeah, Mark with a C and Jacobs at, and I'm at, it's with CB Insights. So feel free to reach out to me through uh, LinkedIn or through uh, my email address. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. It's always an honor and a pleasure to have you in the Sales Hacker Recording Studio, aka the hotel room that we're in. You're a good friend, but also you're an incredible manager, leader, and mentor to so many people in the New York community. So thanks for joining us. Thanks, Sam. I appreciate you having me. This is Sam's Corner. What a fantastic interview with Mark Jacobs. Always insightful and always a good person to talk to. One of the things he said, which I think was really important, is he doesn't make decisions in a vacuum with his team. He involves his team in the decisions, and that enables them to have accountability and ownership with each of these big, important decisions, and they can feel part of the process. So then when he rolls out the decision, they all feel connected to it. I've seen so many companies go into a room with the senior executives, develop a new comp plan, a new lead rotation for the SDRs, a new framework for how opportunities are qualified, a new lead scoring system that places different emphasis on different parts or activities within the marketing funnel without asking the people that are actually doing this every day. So if you're out there in a leadership position, I really encourage you, if you're thinking about, for example, building a new comp plan, use the team to build that comp plan. They are not so self-interested and self-involved that you can't rely on them for their insights to help build something that's going to address their concerns and align the company with the goals it needs to succeed for growth. So that was Sam's Corner. Thanks so much for joining in and I'll talk to you all later. To check out the show notes, see upcoming guests and play more episodes from our incredible lineup of sales leaders, visit saleshacker.com slash podcast. You can also find the Sales Hacking Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a share on LinkedIn, Twitter, or any other social media platform. And finally, special thanks again to this month's sponsor at Node. See more at info.node.io forward slash sales hacker. Finally, if you want to get in touch with me, find me on Twitter at Sam F. Jacobs or on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash Sam F. Jacobs. I'll see you next time.